We're back. And oh my gosh. This is the uh the what would you say the uh the like most sought after person that we've talked about since day one that we're having on, right? I I would say that um we not only is Jimmy Duresta an inspiration <laughs> for the show in mm-hmm. in some ways, right, or the podcast making it, uh, right. but an inspiration I think as just a creator in general um, mm-hmm. and a content yeah. creator, right? Yeah. And yep. so we talk about it in the show kind of how we came across or how I came across him, and I think you'd already come across him separately through just YouTube, and yep. I came to it through Nick Offerman's book, but. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, this, you know, I just messaged him one day, he responded immediately. And like four days later, we sat down and did this interview with Jimmy Dresta. So, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, extremely grateful to him for giving us the time, but it oh, was, extremely gracious. Yeah. Yeah. It, this is probably the most excited, but definitely like up there for sure. Mm-hmm. Excited to talk to somebody. Uh, and just yeah. just have that time to chat with somebody. So, mm-hmm. and he was absolutely every bit as like he is the person you see, right? Like yes. he he was exactly what you expected mm-hmm. him to be. Agreed. Um, yeah. That being said, you know the last episode had a little bit of an audio issue because we were trying to stream a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. This one has a little bit of an audio issue. I sound like I'm talking through a telephone, which is one of my least favorite things in a podcast. But yeah. uh, there the way the audio was recorded, there wasn't a way to kind of fix that problem mm-hmm. necessarily. So this one sounds a little bit weird. Um, I'm just going to use this as an excuse for us to eventually go up to New York, hang out with Teresta yep. for, you know, a day or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm fine with that. And do an interview there. <laughs> so he keeps talking about having like a go-kart uh-huh. like, racetrack challenge day. I'm like, hey, we can just build mm-hmm. a go-kart and go up there <laughs> and be in the challenge day. Um, yeah. Or if good, of the, yeah. if good of the Land ever happens again, um, yeah. or when that finally happens again, we'll just hang out down there. But oh, uh, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal guy. A Dude. fun conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, it was it was a real pleasure, and and it was really a tear to like, do we make this the fiftieth anniversary episode, or do we do the, do the thing we're yeah. already planning? Yeah. Yep. Um. So anyway, you get that. First, Woo. let's thank our patrons for hmm. supporting the show. So, uh, if you had signed up to to be a, a financial supporter by the end of April, you got a dance video from Aaron. It should already Woo-hoo. be in your in your email box. Um. I've heard Aaron, from a few people. <laughs> yeah. I I think Aaron may be looking at a new career. It's hard to tell. Um but let, I, let's, yeah, sure. <laughs> so thank you, Catherine, Cindy, Shelly, Jeremy, Chelsea, Jennifer, Brian, Kaylee, Travis, Tyler, Lindsay, Jesse, Sean, Holly Hill, Allison, and Brian. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and you can do this for as little as a dollar a month. This this means everything. It pays the bills. We're about to come up to where mm-hmm. we have to pay all the bills. Kind of the yearly ones are coming up. Yeah. Um, this bought the new audio equipment. This mm-hmm. uh, a little bit pays for the podcast. Too. We may one day get back into <laughs> this or into ever. We've never even been in it. Um, it's been yeah. a weird year, man. Uh, Dude, yeah. But patreon.com forward slash look what I did. Mm-hmm. In this, we actually did this conversation uh, via Skype, and so 
I think there will be some special content because of that up on Patreon. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And I think we may go back to putting this one behind a... It, like may require support for this one, make it a patron only mm-hmm. thing. Um, you know, we've been giving yeah. away the content for free for the last couple months, but yes, yes, uh, we we still have to pay some bills. So, mm-hmm. um, Aaron, I don't know how you feel about this, but we've never used this platform to, yeah, kind of say anything um, mm-hmm. regarding kind of the events around us, right? Right, but, uh. I, I will just say now, um, and I think I can speak for the show when I say that Black yeah. Lives Matter, and they do. and that's publicly our stance, um, mm-hmm. and we 100% support uh, the Black creative community around us. Um, yes, you know the people that we interact with every day, and mm-hmm. so I I just want to say that publicly. I've been talking with Darius a little bit behind the scenes, you know, like yeah, what is mm-hmm. the right step? What is the right move? Um, because yeah. it's I think it's our place to follow um, mm-hmm. the lead here, right? And yeah. yeah. But I, I, I think, you know, it's a matter of like, do we want to step into this ring um, mm-hmm. in general of just commenting on the world around us? Because we really want right. this to be something where you go to just kind of relax and have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is something that I feel pretty strongly about. And same, yes. So, uh. I, we don't use this platform that way often, but this right. this this deserves yes. that. So it does warrant that. I agree. Yeah, one hundred percent. So mm-hmm. very true. Black Lives Matter. They do. Um, with that being said, and I know this is a weird transition now. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy this episode with the fabulous, wonderful, warm, funny, creative, yes, Jimmy DeResta. Enjoy. We'll start over. Okay. There is there is one thing. If I do this, it's to give Daniel a uh, heads up that I have something to say because it's really hard with all this. Because I talk a lot. Yeah. yeah. No. Me and Bob and Dave were good. We're used to doing this, which means you know, give me the good. stage. Well, that's a loser though. I, we're just gonna go with this. One. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this little light of mine. Yeah. We'll just decide like which the. Okay. So let's start over. Uh, so let's start with who you are and what you do. Um, my name is Jimmy DeResta, and I make things for a living. That's all I've ever done. Proudly, proud to say that all I've ever done is is make things with my hands in exchange for pay. Ever since I was a young boy, the, it started out with making signs for my fellow classmates, uh, party favors and stuff like that on a scroll saw, and then then making signs on a bandsaw and cutting out letters. And me and my brother we used to do the flea market. We'd sell party favors at the flea market and construction with my dad and i just never left the workshop that's all i've ever done yeah so we i came to you through uh nick offerman's book um oh fantastic he, he talks about you a little bit in that and he was like yeah he has a podcast and i was like well i'll check it out and uh so started listening to the podcast um and you know i'm thinking about having this conversation with you the thing that i think makes is what I want to talk to you about is uh, kind of the world between being a maker and then also an entertainer, because I feel like in the conversations I've heard with you, you've always had a draw towards that, right? Television show with your brother, 
YouTube channel, yeah. I believe, or is kind of a pitch, you know, for like the mm-hmm. idea from that kind of comes out of that. Um, and so I think in that world of creators, like, or makers who go onto YouTube and those types of things, uh, what's the, which one of those is the main driver? Is it the entertainer or the well, maker? I'll tell you a funny story. Well, my, my brother John started to become more uh, in the public eye in like maybe 98, 99. He did a one person show off Broadway, which led to his television TV show, which was his very first TV show. Um, he had done a couple of extra spots here and there on movies because when you're a New York City cop, they always need cops in the background for all kinds of movies. So he's done a lot of extra work there and started doing stand up in like 93. Fast forward to 98. He sold a TV show based on his his uh, one person show. And then when he started getting traction and moved out to L.A., my cat is like, every time I talk on the microphone, all he wants to do is get involved and step on my keyboard. So <laughs> if you were here, there'd be a big German shepherd walking around. So <laughs> yeah. he's like he, he just jumps off the table, jumps on the table. He did it last night in an interview I did. And um, so uh, my brother started getting famous. He started getting involved in TV shows and movies. And everybody turned to me because I was like this young, you know, semi in shape, good looking New York single guy. Everyone's like, are you going to go into the movies now? Are you going to? I'm like, (laughs) and I was also teaching at college. So I was always I was always like easy in front of a crowd, you know, pretty much. I mean, I've gotten better with YouTube because I got more live audiences with YouTube. But as a college teacher since 94, I was always easy to talk to people. and, And and that was always practice. And so. Everybody always said, will you follow your brother into the movies? Like all my friends and people that knew that my brother now was like brushing elbows with famous people. I was like, I would only do it. And I would like had to think about it. I'm like, I would only do it if I could be myself. I don't see myself as an actor. I would only do it if I was either being exactly myself or being someone that was supposed to be just exactly like me. (laughs) I can't. I don't have a range. I could just be myself. And oddly enough, you know, a few years later, now let's go back. Now it's like four or five years later. He's been through the gamut. My brother's broke. He's had all this you know quick fame and now he's got nothing to do he's like hey let's make a tv show this is 2002 he goes let's pitch a tv show i pick garbage and sell it at the flea market or no let let me say let me pick we pick garbage and make stuff out of it that was the first idea we just pick garbage and make stuff out of it and it was me behind the scenes this is how we pitched the show i was going to be completely behind the scenes never had any intention of being on tv Anything that I ever said about me, like being myself, if any opportunity, that was like completely forgotten about. I was completely focused on filmmaking and learning how to use editing software, which just came out and took a couple of lessons from friends that knew how to edit through Avid, you know, remember the Avid editing system, which I don't think you hear much about. Um, So, and then Final Cut came out, which was a knockoff of Avid that was affordable. I was learning Final Cut. My buddy who was teaching me never used Final Cut, but he goes, I know Avid works similar. So we opened it up. I got a hack version. He sat in front of my computer, figured it all out in like 10 minutes and goes, all right, come over. Now I got this. I got to figure it out. (laughs) So then he taught me how to use Final Cut based on his knowledge of Avid, which he knew was a knockoff. Anyway, so my brother's like, hey, come out to LA. Let's shoot a concept where I pick garbage and we make things out of it. So we shot a pilot. I was off camera. My brother made a table that we, we pretended we found in the garbage, the wood. And we pitched the TV show where he's being silly and funny. And that was, ended up being trash to cash. But before we ever made the first pilot, we were in a meeting. And this is a classic story I've told a lot. But in the meeting, the guy says, what's your role in this TV show? I said, my role. This is a guy at Fox. I said, my role would be behind the scenes. I'd be the idea guy. I'd come up with ideas. This is, in, this is 18 years ago. I'd come up with the ideas and I'd help make the complicated things behind the scenes. And he goes, 
well, what about you just be funny and you just make stuff? Would you guys be okay with both being on camera together? And we both like, yeah, no problem. That'd be fun. He goes, all right, let's shoot a pilot. If it sucks, nobody will ever see it. He goes, if it's good, we'll make more. <laughs> and that was exactly basically what it was. And so, and that was the beginning for me. And it like, we went into that meeting at Fox with, with zero intention of getting me on camera because that was not my intention. My intention was just to get a producer job. And we walked out of the meeting and Barry Katz was in that meeting. And uh, I talk about Barry Katz often. He has a podcast called Industry Standard. And mm-hmm. Barry Katz is a very famous in the comedy world as a comedy manager for everybody from Dave Chappelle to uh, uh, Louis C.K. to everybody. He's had brushes with everybody. And so that's why his podcast is really good because all those people come on his show. They right. usually talk about how he was their manager he screwed them over. They fired him. And then they loved him so much they stayed friends anyway. And Barry's like a love, he's a lovable guy, but everybody that's ever been his client has quit him for some angry reason and then, you know, kind of still is, is he's he's a lovable, he's a lovable character. Anyway. Right. We walked out of the meeting and Barry's like, So what do you think about that? I just got you a spot on TV. I was like, because you because you're excited. I was like, Yeah, I go, great. It's great. I go, this is what I always said. I would only do TV if I could be myself. I didn't have to be a character. Mm-hmm. And so that was it. That was trash to cash. And that was the first foray into this like infotainment, making things and showing them off. And it was before it was when there was only chat rooms. Right. So the show went up and on the air and then we'd find these chat rooms where people would like make fun of us saying like, oh, the fat guy is not even funny. Who's this? This guy actually makes fun stuff. They should let the the maker guy talk more. I mean, maker wasn't (laughs) a term. They should let the artist brother talk more. And and then one thing led to another. And um we always knew that a funny concept, even before ha- uh, even before we were done with Trash to Cash, we said, hey, let's make a show where it's kind of like a cooking show where like we, we show people how to make something and then maybe it's already made. And it, before like the, the, the half hours up, we pull it out because we made it off camera. And that ended up that concept became uh, hammered. That ended up being on HGTV. And we thought of that while we were making the other show. After that show got canceled, we went and we started making the pilot, our own pilot. And we were going to make and produce our own episodes. I shot five episodes. I only edited the first one. And that's the one that you could find it on my YouTube channel. It's called Making It with John and Jimmy DiResta. And that was Mm -hmm. the very first show we shot in like 2003, I think. And that got picked up by a production company and sold to HGTV. And we made 26, 28 episodes of that. It wow. became Hammer. They changed the name to Hammer. And then while we were doing that, we shot a pilot concept for a show where we pick garbage and sell it at the flea market. And then that was called Lord of the Fleas. And that ultimately we sold to Discovery. That became Dirty Money. So every one of these pilots we were making on our own and I was shooting behind the scenes. And I was really focused on the camera work. My brother didn't know anything about it, didn't care, has no idea how to use it, doesn't even know which end of a camera to hold. He just sees, he would say, how much funny do you want? And where he goes, tell he goes, where do you want the funny and how much of it do you want? That's what he would always joke. He's like, <laughs> where do you want the funny and how much of it do you want? That, that, that's, that's basically what he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so then from there, is it starting another pilot that kind of kicks off the YouTube channel? Like what? what oh, so well, again, yeah, this is like another, another classic story. So we would do, we did, uh, Trash to Cash in 2002. Then it went away. And then that was it. I went back to my regular life. You know, you get a little taste of fame. You're like, oh, I'm going to be famous. And you're like, oh, wait, I'm not going to be famous. And then the second <laughs> thing comes around two years later and you're like, 
this is it. I'm going to be famous. And then you're like, not going to be famous. And the third thing comes around and you're like, wait, what do you want to do? Yeah, I get, I got, I got a real job, but what do you, what do you really want to do this? <laughs> and right. So I become, I become desensitized by round three, but round. <clears throat> so let me go back. So we did, we did trash the cash in 2002 and then we went away and shot the pilot for what became hammered. We shot it on our own with no production company, mm-hmm. shop the tape around. And, uh, we got a call. It's funny. I always say you never. Now we're no longer working with Barry. Barry moved on. My brother and him split it, and we finished Trash to Cash 2002. And then a couple of years goes by before we get the attention of somebody through a friend at HGTV. And then we pitched them a couple of shows, and they ended up buying that show. That they that again, I shot like five episodes. We only edited one, and that was the one we showed as a pitch tape. And they ended up so. If I ever have the time, the wherewithal, I'll download all that footage from tapes and cut those other episodes together, like the lost episodes of Hammered. And uh, so anyway, we were able to sell that to HGTV, and then that went away in 2007. And then a a couple of years go by, well, a year goes by, and then they hired me to do this stupid show. They're like, we want to do what you guys did with your brother, but without your brother. Like, they didn't like him. They didn't like John. Um, it was like very corporate. My brother's like complete opposite of that. So I, I said to him, I go, they want to hire me without you. He goes, do it. You know, he goes, you need a paycheck, go for it. And, uh, so, uh, we did a show called against the grain. There was this girl, Janine, I can't remember her full name, but she was my assistant on the show. And, uh, the show was hokey, 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 hokey. And it, they aired it once. You could probably find it on their website. It's so stupid. And, they, I was kind of, it was like too collaborative, like everybody behind the scenes. Like every time I come up with an idea, it got watered down by 10 people. I really wasn't like, I really wasn't on my game. Like I really hadn't really developed my, my full on personality like I did on YouTube where I could just right. do whatever I want and make it interesting. I, you know, I wasn't editing. I wasn't shooting it. Yes. Your personality uh, on YouTube is silent <laughs> with just hands and, and fast. <laughs> Yeah, my full personality right. is super quick. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, because like I really wanted it to be all about the build, and then they're like, yeah, yeah. "Hold it up, hold it closer, smile." I'm like, "Like I'm making something. The guys want to make, mm-hmm. guys want to make." And I, I remember arguing. They're like, "Like I even at one point, the we did 26 or 28 episodes of of Hammered. At one point, the the people at the network wanted me to smile more." So I literally had. They're like, "You look too serious all the time." I'm like, "I'm making things. I'm focusing. I'm thinking." And so yeah. I actually had to wear an earpiece, a little tiny, looked like a piece of gum stuck in my ear. And the sound guy always made sure the batteries were up to speed. And then I would hear the, the producer of the show going, Jimmy, smile. Jimmy, smile more. Okay, yeah. when you explain it to John, don't look so angry. Okay, <laughs> smile. I actually really heard that for like the last 10 episodes. Okay, when you show that to John, just smile a little bit. Show your teeth. Okay, yeah, lighten up your eyes. You'd look a whole lot prettier if you smiled. <laughs> <laughs> Like my yeah. teeth yellow. Me, I don't want to... When we were making those coasters for the Patreon supporters, and you're like, you look mad at the wood. And I was like, oh. I'm not cutting my fingers off. <laughs> you look mad at the wood. I've, I've yeah. got a resting, uh, you know, angry Yeah, face. resting, resting bitch face. I, I have it too. Right? People are like, is everything okay? I'm like, I'm thinking like thousands of thoughts. Like, I don't I need bet. to. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, it's your focus. <laughs> It's like the Michael Jordan tongue thing, right? Like you're just in the zone yeah. doing your thing. Like, yeah. I'm not yeah. I mean, I'd be on the band saw and I'd hear the voice in my ear. Smile. The camera. The camera <laughs> the smile. Wow. <laughs> yes, God. <laughs> so, and so anyway, we did that. The show was fun, you know, and uh, 
And then while we did that, we shot we shot this very fun, extremely funny pilot of Lord of the Fleas, which was became Dirty Money. Mm. And we shopped it to everybody and everybody loved it. We I mean, it was one of the only times I really never had meetings with people. I only had had a couple of meetings. We would send the tape ahead and like get feedback from the tape. Like we were emailing short little movies and, you know, then we'd send in a videotape and then we'd send a little piece of it to get an attention, to get a meeting, to get a tape. And, you know, I, I really wasn't in many of the meetings. Anyway, long story short, we shopped. Uh, I actually went out to California and we, we went to. Uh, we went to MTV. We went to a, a, we went to all these. We went to I don't even remember honestly. I can't remember these things like go right out of my head. Um, we we shopped around the show Dirty Money with with I think Barry was involved during that, and we shopped it around, and then nobody nobody picked it up, and it just sat. And then the, around that time, I got on on YouTube and I put all my little pilots on my YouTube channel. And just so that I could send links to people, it became an easier way to transfer the video because then yeah. all I had to do was just copy and paste the link. And nobody was watching my YouTube channel at the time. I mean, I had like probably 50 subscribers. I probably knew every one of them. And as time went on, I now it's like 2010, and I'm with a friend, and he's like, "You got any TV shows?" He's a producer, and a he actually did a lot of the, he did a lot of editing on Cribs, and I knew him from the city. We met through friends. And uh, he made a lot of money with cribs and he edited a lot of sporting events. He had a full editing company. That's what he did. He'd subcon he was a millionaire. He'd sub he did editing contracts with every major sports network. I mean, he was there. He, he had something to do with uh, uh, UFC wrestling. Anyway, his name was Mike. I was, and I was doing some work in his, his office. He hired me to make some signs. And, and I was in his office. And he's like, I said, when are you going to stop making your own TV shows? You have all the ingredients here to make your own show but you're not making your own shows he goes it's funny you should say that we've been talking about it you have any ideas because i know you you know he knows i dabbled in tv i was like um actually i have a good idea on my youtube channel so i sent him the link and he calls me back a few hours later he goes who's seen this i said everybody and he goes do you think if we showed it around anybody would remember it i go i guarantee you everybody that saw it has moved on to new jobs so i said if we shopped it to every single company that i went to already that would be fresh so as it was now, it was like a year, two, like two years later. Right. He takes it directly to Discovery Channel. He shows my YouTube link to Discovery. They liked it. They go, let me see a fresh version of this pitch before we show it to everybody else. I give him my original source tapes from like three years before. He recuts my my shoot, my shoot. He re-edits it to his style, which is really much, much better than mine. And based on that, we get money for a pilot. And they said, we don't, he said, because he's very wealthy, he's like, look, I'm not risking all this work for you guys to own a pilot that you're not going to show anybody. I'll pay for it. If you like it, then you buy the show. If you don't like it, I keep the pilot and I get to show it to whoever I want. And uh, so that's he took that chance and he shot the pilot. We, he shot the pilot with his own crew, but he paid for it out of his own pocket, which was probably a hundred thousand dollars. You know, I could have made it for two pizzas and you know, camera, <laughs> but these guys have to do it this. You know, all these guys get hired for scale and whatever. You know, right and. I would have just had a passerby. I'm like, okay, hold the camera. When I walk there, just follow me and then stop on that. And then don't turn the camera off till I tell you. That's that's how you do it. You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Just gluing have, GoPros to surfaces. <laughs> <laughs> they have three cameramen yeah. and, you know, sound men and snack table and six PAs. So anyway, it, we ended up shooting a pilot and we able we were able to sell the, the, the show Dirty Money. They changed the name. The network came up with the name Dirty Money because Dirty Jobs is on at the time. Mm -hmm. And we sold Dirty Money to Discovery. 
and it was fantastic. Like we had like the executive producer from from Inked, Miami Inked was on the show. He was going to be like, you know, the saving grace, this guy. He would come in. He was like a real big shot. He looked like uh, Killer Mike. He would come in with his hands in his pocket walking around. And uh, like he was so intimidating, this big African-American guy. I can't even remember his name. But everyone's like, that's the guy that made Miami Inked big. Like that's the guy. So <laughs> he was like the consultant behind the scenes of the show. And he had every confidence the show was going to do big. And um, everybody involved just thought the show was going to do well. When it aired, it started doing well right away. But just before it aired, the people that were our network executives behind the scenes got fired. And the whole group of people got reassigned. And like we were shooting like episode like six or eight when a guy came to set and he's like, all right, explain this show to me. Like, tell me what, like, what is the show about? And we're in the middle of shooting. Like, so we had all of our support was new people that knew nothing about us, didn't know us, didn't care about us. And so the show aired and that was it. It just never, ever got picked up again. And I was angry and bitter. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go on YouTube and prove to everybody what they, they missed. They never paid any attention. They absolutely could kill us. And uh, that was it. And then I started my YouTube career. And that's how it started. Out of resentment towards you, towards the Discovery Channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because uh, your trajectory is a little bit different than some of the other creators. Because you start naturally as a a maker, right? Like, And not even a maker. I mean, just a craftsperson. Um, yeah. Bandsaw lettering, a lot of that. And then start teaching at that art school. Yeah. Just as a side job. I mean, I taught one right. day a week. But okay. I, I, so I was in the I graduated art school and I went right into making products. I went right into making toy products. So I spent I spent like two or three weeks a year in Hong Kong. In right. fact, so, so I have like a full on manufacturing education, which is why I think I'm a little bit more like kind of like product oriented than most right, of the YouTube, right. you know, mm-hmm. like not really label slap. I know that it takes so much work and I'm kind of like half hearted about like manufacturing anything because it's right. such a pain in the ass. Yep. I mean, I really do want to do a label slap that works really well, but I still make my ice picks and I just started making the razor blades and, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, when it works, it's really nice when yeah. it doesn't work, it's just a pain in the ass. But anyway, what? I always go with everything very cautiously and I make sure I just push it on my channel as best I can. Right. But what, yeah. what drew you to teaching though? Like, because the YouTube channel in a lot of ways is instructive, right? Oh, um, it is. It's great. It overlaps several years. So while I was yeah, teaching, yeah. I would, I, I really started developing a lot of the videos early on to be like a, the book, the book binding and the packaging. And I'd be like, oh, you know, like a student who would miss class and they'd be like, what do we got? What am I supposed to do for next week? I'm like, oh, go to my YouTube channel, watch or just, you know, search the rest of package design, watch my package videos and you'll see others as well. You know, when you search my name, others so watch all those and do something like that. And they'd be like, oh, fantastic. You know, so it's. Whereas like just a few years before, they'd be like, what's the homework? I missed homework for one reason or another. And I'd be like, well, it's package design. I'm like, Go find a cereal box in your cupboard, take it apart and make something like that for yourself. You know, whereas now YouTube is like completely instructional. So it got to a point where mostly everything that I ever did in class ultimately ended up on my YouTube channel. So I had a video, either like it or just like it, um, to be able to show my students it, it overlapped about four years before I decided to pack it in at school. And that was a logistic thing. I, I, I stopped teaching because I moved up to the farmhouse full time. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess where I was going with the teaching thing is like there, 
I mean, were you always that way? Like, were you the kid that was telling other people how to get something done if you're trying to build a fort, <laughs> right? Or <laughs> no, it's it, you're right. You know what it was? It, it happened while I was at college. I just experimented and tinkered so much that I knew so much more than a lot of the students around me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I saw somebody that was comparable to me or knew more, I could communicate with them right away. Like, oh, show me about that. Like, tell, yeah. show me. How did you do that? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's great. You know, I have a similar experience where so. It was easy for me to communicate with people that were doing what I was doing, and it was much. E- and it was also very easy for me to tell people what I was doing because, I, when I was an art student, there was a culture of partying. You know, it was like Ch- Red Hot Chili Peppers just started, and everybody was like bouncing around the city, going to CBGBs. That was my era, like in the '80s. And um, I stopped drinking uh, in 1987. I still had three more years of college before, so I completely focused on what I was doing. I was basically, I mean, I'm not even kidding. I was a teenage alcoholic. By the time I turned 20, I really saw the light and I said, you know what? Maybe I should stop drinking before I kill myself or, Mm. you know, ruin my life, you know, by accidentally killing somebody else. And so I just literally just stopped drinking one night. I just said, you know what? Maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this. Let me take a couple days off. And that led to more. And then I started going to AA with some friends and my, my brother was in AA at the time and he kind of coaxed me. He didn't push me, but he's like, Hey, you know, if you stop drinking, it's a good idea. Yeah. And uh, so he was a good influence on me, of course. And anyway, so I stopped drinking. So during college, I just focused on making stuff. So I'd go to go to like if we had a packaging assignment, I'd come in with like something really elaborate and all the other students would come in hungover or, you know, or or high. And they they just ate like a a pop tart, you know, because they, they live alone in some. I had a workshop. I had my mother. I was at my mother's house. I had a workshop. So I'd come in with all this elaborate stuff. Even at the time, I was working at a florist, working in the prop shop, and I had access to all kinds of cool materials, spray paints, foam core. So I was doing my homework at the prop shop, and other kids, like I said, were doing their homework in their apartment. You know, to get access to a Xerox copier at the time was complicated. You know, or even I remember color copies started coming out when I was in, in the eighties, where I was like, mm. "Whoa, where'd you get a color copy?" <laughs> yeah, you know, like. Yep. Get something free. You had to go to the stat store on Fifth Avenue, wait in line behind all the fashion photographers that were having all their portfolios printed, getting C prints. You know, these are like yeah. a color a print that was glossy. Get a C print. Now it's like, wow. you know, you can go to Walmart and get that stuff. So it, I just had a little bit of an advantage. So a lot of the students were always saying, how did you do that? Like I made mine, you know, in the lobby of my dorm. Like, how did you get wake up? I'm like, Oh, well, you go down to Canal Street. There's this cool place that sells material. How do you know about that? I go, because I don't drink and spend half my day in bed. You know, I. Yeah. I, I'm I quit. Like, and experimenting. Three years ago, I think. And uh, it was. It was weird how much extra time you have. It's <laughs> yeah. like, what are you doing this time? Uh, let's make a podcast. Let's do, you know, you're just like, I guess I got all this time to do this stuff now. And you're just yeah. more like yeah. on it all the time. Right. Like just focused i guess mm-hmm. uh, yeah you know what it is it's like people always say you know i've had girlfriends say you're addicted to work i'm like well you'd rather be addicted to work than addicted to alcohol you know so yeah. yep i agree my kids sometimes are like you have so much going on like with the podcast and doing this other stuff like um but i mean it's better than sitting in the garage and drinking a beer or whatever right like it's productive good work productive work yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. I will ask uh, real quick, Jimmy, about you talked about your parents and your upbringing, you know, a little bit. What is it that your dad did while you grew up? And did you 
go to work with him or oh yeah yeah my dad was uh i guess you could say he was a handyman and like a he was like a hired construction worker you'd hire my dad he had a van full of every tool ever made he's like he was as bad as i am my dad's still alive he's just he's, mm-hmm. he's a little he's getting he's getting up there he just turned 80 and he's and obviously with the COVID and stuff he's just kind of hiding in the house he's getting a little yeah. frustrated yeah but my dad growing up always had a van that had every single tool you'd need on it on site so he was like the roving workshop he had everything you needed that you'd hire him for, you know, two or three hundred dollars a day. And he would be on site and he would like he never really wanted to be the foreman, but he always took the as time went on, he became like the, you know, the elder, like the state, the elder statesman on the job. So everybody mm-hmm. would defer to my dad. Hey, Joe, how do I do this? Or I got this problem. How do I solve it? You know, so my dad yeah. was a problem solver. He still is. And and he he was basically a hired carpenter for the day. And growing up, he did a lot of handyman work. So when I was real little, like seven, eight He'd take me on these jobs where he's like fixing drawers and installing shelves. And, and as a fireman, you know, like the fireman culture, you work for like two days solid and then you have three days to do nothing. So you always have these extra jobs. And, mm-hmm. and more often than not, most of the firemen that my dad hung out with were all carpenters. So occasionally it'd be like, hey, they're going to gut and rebuild this whole house. And so I'd go to that job with my dad and it'd be like 10 other firemen working on it. And they'd be, they'd revolve out as they had to go to work, different firemen would come. So I grew up in that culture of just, you know, always problem solving and fixing stuff and, uh, you know, installing stuff. I mean, even as a little kid, it's like, go to the truck and get the long screws in the box. The screws don't work. So I'm always running back and forth. So I really was exposed to all that problem solving, like from the age of like seven, eight years old. Mm Mm-hmm. And even I like think, the problem solving in my own house, you know, like my yeah. dad was always making tables and putting up chairs and, you know, fixing chairs and putting up shelves and changing doors and installing, <laughs> you know, sh- striker locks and all kinds of stuff. And he would always be like, hey, come here, watch this. When you do this, this is the type of thing you're going to run into. There's a couple different shapes of this. And, you know, so he was always showing me. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was a maintenance man and eventually got an electrician's license. And there were a lot of like, we're going to go to this lady's house and install a ceiling fan or, and I think, it's funny how like what your dad did and my dad did growing up for a living is now yeah. this thing that has become this kind of like culture fashion. of, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's in fashion to tinker, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. and I feel super lucky to grow up in a household where my dad was really into early computers and ham radio and also, you know, had to know how to build something or fix something or wire something. Um, cause it was a good blend of skill even though yeah. for him it was also food on the table. <laughs> yeah, no, for yeah. sure. And it's funny. I mean, I've been in it's it's been in my life so much that like even I'm I'm looking at my table. I got all kinds of tools on my table. But like when I'm in my shop, I Brett was you guys know Brett, my my former assistant. Now I have Aaron. Mm-hmm. And Brett Brett would always be impressed. He would always like he'd be like where is this from? He'd hold up anything in the shop and he'd be like, <laughs> I go that was my grandfather's my dad gave it to me. I've had it since I'm like 7 years old. He'd be like Where's this from? I go, I got that at a garage sale in East Durham three years ago. You know, like every single tool, a lot of them date back to, I remember my dad using it and just like yeah. leaving it in the shop and now it's mine. You know, and I'll go to him now, like I'll, cause he's obviously not working nearly as much. I'll go to my dad's house now and he'll be like, and he has something that I, re- I remember when I was a kid. I'm like, can I have yeah. this? He's like, yeah, take it. Cause he's like, I'm not going to use it anymore. You take it. So I go to his house all the time and I'm like always grabbing like, and cutters and pliers that I remember holding when I was like six and seven years old. And, uh, you know, there's just something cool about it. What, what, growing up, my dad had those little pocket like buck 
it was two blades, the folding knives, like the little pocket. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was a yeah, like knife. the old timer, like a go yeah, yeah, timer. Yeah, yeah. That's and he would always break off the tip of one on accident trying to do something. That would become his like <laughs> screwdriver. <laughs> yep. And so one of my most prized possessions is my dad's like knife slash screwdriver <laughs> that he would yeah. like, just carry with him everywhere. And he used it all the time. Like you, you yeah. never know when you need a screwdriver. Pretty funny. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, yep. Don't show my dad this. <laughs> he, he would hate. My dad was the opposite. It was like that'll cut you two ways, fast and deep, you know. Oh, but I, I won't show him that pocket knife today. He'd be uh, he he'd be upset. Well, it's funny, you know. Thing, you you always learn. You, you're saying you always learn like like you 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 learn your lesson by getting injured severely. You're like, okay, I'm never gonna do that again. Yeah. And. And growing up, my dad, he was drunk on a fishing trip. I remember he would, he's like, oh, he, and he had this switchblade, which I probably still have. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Oh. It's just in my shop. It was a, a, a switchblade, which now they call an automatic knife. And it was this little nondescript white ivory handle and the blade flipped out and the blade would flip out. Like it was like a three inch blade and it had yeah. a brass button. It looked like something that was made in like the turn of the century. And our, he said back in the day when, when beer cans used to have to pop a hole in the top with a with a church key is what they called it. My dad right. would stab the can with his knife and twist it and then open making a hole and then pop a little air hole. And then that, he did that with that knife. And on a fishing trip, he went to stab the, the can and he stabbed the side of his hand. And he he says he still has a scar right here in the in the crotch of his thumb and his finger Man. from doing that. So he. <laughs> Considered that knife bad luck, and he left it in the workshop, and he never carried it with him anymore. <laughs> oh. So I took it over, mm-hmm. and one day I was polishing it on the buffing wheel, oh. and it folded back on my thumb and nearly cut the whole end of my thumb off. Oh, man. Because of the force that it, it like flopped and like jammed underneath the buffing blade. It literally like sliced open my whole entire thumb to the point where like if it would connect it, it would have just literally just sliced off my whole thumbprint. It went halfway through, like sideways, like filleted the end of my thumb. Mm-hmm. And I like, I remember holding it like this and going, God, I wish that wasn't cut. And I opened my hand and it stayed shut. And then it, the blood just seeped under it. And then I grabbed <laughs> it again. And I was like, and I looked at it and the blood just slowly seeped under it again. And then I just basically just pinched my finger for like three hours. And I never told my father or my mother why I was uh. pinching my finger. <laughs> And then the blood. And then I realized then I had good coagulation, and the blood eventually <laughs> stuck it together. I wrapped myself with black tape the next day so that it wouldn't pop open. And I learned early on, don't buff a blade unless the blade is locked. <laughs> oh, I was about ten or eleven when that happened. So yeah. anyway, those those are the moments you remember when you're a kid how you learn mm-hmm. stuff. Hey, Daniel. What? When you told me we we're going to have Jimmy DeResta on, I was so ish sighted that <laughs> we shouldn't even leave that one in. That's terrible. <laughs> That's the worst thing ever. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> were you ishing to talk to him? <laughs> we've been we've been ishing to have him on the show forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it started rocky and got better. How's that? <laughs> um, unlike the Rocky movie franchise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? It's it starred Rocky and it started off rocky. Yeah. 
So, <laughs> no, it started great and got worse. Um, oh. Anyway, so uh, lookwhatidid.net. You can still pick up the strands, stand strong tea um, mm-hmm. there. So I think that message still holds, bizarrely. Uh, yep. <laughs> stand yes. strong, but like six feet apart. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, you can go there. You can see photos of past guests. You can get the five most recent episodes just streamed through there if you don't want to download through a podcast yep. player or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the future of the show, and I'm really excited to look at you know what it means to start getting back with guests in person. Right. Um, it's been unfortunate to not be able to do any events this year. So it's Mm -hmm. been a weird year, but we've had some really, really amazing guests and we still have some amazing guests lined up Mm -hmm. for the rest of the year. It's just a matter of kind of like working around the circumstances of the situation, but I cannot wait to get back out kind of in the community more again. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so much fun interaction there. The website is a great way to interact with us. You know, mm-hmm. in in this period of time, um, you can email us through the website. You can look at photos, whatever you want to do. Uh, links to some other things, and then of course, Instagram is just a fantastic way to communicate mm-hmm. and stay in touch and yeah. chat with you. So be sure to follow us on Instagram if you don't already. Um, make sure to just stop in and say hi, comment on a post, whatever. Mm-hmm. Get the conversation started. Aaron's bored out of his mind now that he's not doing his dance career audition videos. <laughs> so he'll chat with you on Instagram uh, almost immediately, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so hit up those places. Stay in touch. Yeah. We miss you guys. We miss seeing you guys in yeah, person. We do. And it's yeah. the best way to interact. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's, yeah, that's it. There's- so. Back to Mr. James DeResta. Woohoo! You know, we we had talked to somebody one time and they said, you know how you can tell a hoarder from like other people? And like Daniel and I were like, how? They're like, they can tell you where they got everything. I said, that's not a problem. (laughs) I was like, I know, I know where I got it, what I paid for it, what year it is. Usually if I look it up and if I, you know, where I got it, who, what year, all that stuff. And I think that, I don't think that's a problem at all. I like buying stuff for the history of it and cleaning it up and doing other things. I think that that there is... Yeah. An important thing to it, you know. It's, it's good. I, I, not really a problem. You're a hoarder if you can't get rid of it, right? Like, yeah. I think that. You know, it's funny. Like I, stuff. I, I think, I think that I, I, I'm definitely a hoarder, but I don't think I'm a crazy <laughs> hoarder. Right, right. <laughs> when friends come to my shop, they're like, oh, that's a cool saw. I'm like, you want to take it? Get it out of here. I need that space. So I give a lot of old tools away. Like tools like pass through my life, and then I yeah. end up giving them. And then obviously now I'm in a position where I'm getting a lot of free stuff. So like a cool new tool comes to me that I got, I have to <clears throat> test drive. I use it. And then if it's not something I think I'll ever use again, I'll give it to a friend. And That's I'll always awesome. say I might put that back. Just don't destroy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or if you but, pass yeah. it on, just let me know whoever gets it, you know? And, yeah. and it's not like, sometimes it's like, I don't care. I never want to see it again. But for instance, uh, X-Carb gave me a machine around the same time that I ended up working with uh, a, a shop bot. So the X-Carb I never touched. And I gave right. it to my buddy Derek, and 
Derek from Walden. And Derek just got a whole new machine. He gave me back the X carve and I now gave it to a local guy here who's going to use it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think if it can like come in and out, then it's not really an issue until you have Thai beanie babies piled up behind you. You're not really a hoarder. That's the- <laughs> <laughs> no, no beanie babies here. No. Aaron's actually no. sitting on a pile of Thai beanie babies. That's how he got into the camera. Cabbage patch. <laughs> it's cabbage patch dolls. <laughs> Not That's a weird baby. addition. <laughs> um, I'm lying. So one That's thing weird. I struggle with is, uh, like, I, I realized some years ago that my hobby is collecting hobbies. I just want to know how to do the thing, right? So yeah. last I, weekend, I, no I, yeah, I figured out, like, a graphic design program. I, I didn't figure it out. I got better <laughs> at a graphic design yeah. program. Um but what I find is like it can take me forever to get something done to come back to it because I get distracted by the next thing. Like, is that something that gets you sometimes, and we just don't see that because we always see the thing that got finished? Or are you really good about like tackling it? Well, I, I one thing I'm really good at, and I haven't just got I got a, a compliment from my buddy yesterday because he saw me he saw the razor blades were for sale. He goes, man, yeah, I've been messing around with those for like over a year and a half. And he goes, he goes, wow. He goes, if, if there's nothing else, he goes, you're good at follow through. He goes, you, you, right. even though like stuff will sit around forever, he goes, but eventually you get back to it. And so that's one thing I do feel like I really do follow through. And it's really more of an obsessive compulsive disorder and less of a like, I'm not lazy. I have like com- obsessive compulsive disorder where it's like, if I get, if I get a new, like for instance, I just got that Cadillac. I have to get that work. And otherwise I'll feel like I've let myself down. You know, I made a yeah. bad decision. Um, you know, I have, I have a, a motorcycle, which I never use. I have, you know, my, and, and I, they, everything has to work, you know, like if I start a project, I have to at least finish it. Even if the, the, the finish isn't, you know, what I ultimately hoped for when I started it, but at least I could say that that loop is done. So that's really, you know, that's really, uh, where it's coming from. And then like, sometimes I'll start something with like so much anxiety because knowing the loop will never get closed, or at least I don't feel, I don't see the loop getting closed. A uh, case in point is when I just recently, if you saw my injection molded video that I posted a couple weeks ago, where I CNC'd out a, a, an aluminum mold of my logo and I put it in an yeah. injection molding machine. Yeah. That company asked me to test drive those machines and I was real nervous. I'm like, I never machined anything this small and intricate, even though it's just my dumb logo. But when it's you know the size of your finger, it's really intricate. It's super yeah. small machining. And so I had to solve a lot of problems there and just confront, uh, you know, the fear and just jump in and, and it worked, it worked, you know, it was acceptable. It's not perfect, but it's my first, my first injection molded machining job and, uh, it, it's working. So, you know, awesome. the next one's just going to be better. But again, that was just a little anxiety thinking like I wasn't going to be able to close the loop. Yeah. And, uh, I don't I have much of a problem starting something. And I guess my solution is I just tell myself if I don't get back to it, it wasn't that good of an idea to begin with. <laughs> That's yeah. my filter out. <laughs> yeah. But don't get back to it. It wasn't that exciting. No, I think <laughs> you know, it's, it, I'll, do, I'll tell you something. It's funny. Like me and Derek just the other day went and picked up his new, he got a big four by eight CNC machine. And when we were there, the guy who we went to see, he, he like bought this machine and gave up on it. And he had like a pretty, looked like a pretty decent business, but he just gave up on it. And, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know the guy at all, but he's selling the machine at a discount because he just gave up on it. And mm-hmm. he's like, ah, I had all these high hopes. And I was like, it's kind of sad. Like, like I, I don't see myself doing that. Like I've started, like I've started things and I've gotten back to them ultimately, but like seeing that guy's situation, it's obviously everybody has their own 
you know, baggage and I see his baggage and it motivates me to not do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. To not, to not get into something and not complete it. That being said, I have a million half finished projects like my big black barn that I started working on and you know, all these things. And I use the barn all the time. I actually was in there today, finishing up the insulation for the first time ever. Uh, so we, we had a whole section not insulated because there was too much junk in front of it. We moved it. And now I finally did that today. And uh, now we're going to start closing the walls. But, you know, it's also a matter of money, too, because I'm paying for it as I go. So yeah. it's a matter of like when it's available. Yeah. But anyway, just like I said, it's just a little OCD to make sure everything gets finished. And, you know, if it takes a long time, it takes a long time. We have but we. What was it a year ago, Aaron, that we developed that the exposure coin? It's yeah, over. I think it's been about a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had this idea for an exposure coin and kind of like you as a maker or person like you, de- you, you should determine your worth. Like sometimes it's good to give it away. Sometimes you need to remember to charge full price. Like you can't give everything away all, all the time. Um, right. Cause what we do is we talk to creators and every time you get the same story, uh, you know, people ask me to do this for free or I could get this, you know, I could do that myself or whatever the story is. And uh, we worked with a, company shire post mint and got this coin engraved it's super awesome it looks really good we're about to start filming like a kickstarter video for it and then it's like too close to christmas so we'll wait and so it rolls into this year and we're like okay it's february like let's get ready <laughs> i booked to shoot like the middle of march and i'm just like i cannot sell something to artists now <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well it's like the jeans i started everyone's like where are your jeans i'm like the factory that was going to make my jeans is in Manhattan. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to sell jeans made in Manhattan, you know, everyone's going to be like, wait, you mean in the epicenter of the COVID-19, I have a pair of jeans. It's probably got cooties on it. So <laughs> you got to wait. For, what, what's the, the Scotch coating you can put on pants? Just put that on it and tell them it just <laughs> wipes the COVID off. <laughs> yeah. Power wash first. Yeah. The yeah, Garment Center actually isn't closed. The Garment Center is apparently essential. So the Garment Center is open and, and the company that would be making my coat. But they're now they're making masks and other stuff. And so, you know, their time is work, but it's it's not the kind of work that, you know. Anyway, it's on hold. It's uh, it's got to wait it out. Nope. So uh, what what's your what's off camera? Like, I get the impression that you're in the shop sunrise to sundown but then when you're making your vlog videos there's also a lot of just kind of like wandering and exploring and stuff um what's off time for you um hanging out with taylor we go to her 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 studio and that's my girlfriend taylor Uh, we've been together for 10 years and she's an artist and a designer we do a lot of planning like right now she's planning uh we're doing a horse barn in the backyard and a horse fence and you know we're uh coming up with the resources to have that done and decide what we would do ourselves, what we would hire somebody to do. So that's going to be really beautiful. She's got a beautiful horse. And in, up here, there's lots of horses that just can't – people can't afford to take care of. And yeah. uh, and then even like if we have a three-stall barn, we might even be able to kind of like have somebody have their horse here and then we could collect a little rent. So we're going to do uh, – with that type of stuff happens behind the scenes. And then eventually when it's like worthy of a video, then we'll pull a camera out. But just me, like when we do wander around, like uh, on the weekends, we go for long drives. Cause I'm, I'm in upstate New York. You can drive for like 10 miles in any direction and find something you've never seen before. And it's, we, we just, uh, we, we put an offer in on a house down the block for $500 for, 
five hundred dollars, and it's a little ramp jackal. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a little we'll ramp jackal. Right yeah. <laughs> it's a little ramshackle thing on one acres. It's um, you know, it was a hoarder house, and it's still yeah. full of all the guys' junk. And wow. you know, the first thing we do is it, we we've been through the house a few times. It's sitting there. We can we actually stopped and went through it a couple times since we started taking an interest in it. And I honestly walk through it, and there's like nothing I want. That's the type right. of junk that's in there. I walk through it, I'm like. This is like the guy collected like really low quality stuff, like, like screwdrivers, like, like, kids. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, he's like got beanie babies. <laughs> <It's all laughs> Apparently the guy died. I don't think he died in the house, but when he passed away, there was nobody to pass the house to. So now it goes back to the county and the county just wants somebody to inhabit it or take it over. So it just doesn't look like a, you know, a burnt out shell. And so, yeah. uh, that's again, that's another project we'll be doing behind the scenes. I got my Cadillac, which I try every nice day. Now the days are getting a little bit nicer and warmer. I'm trying to go over there and do one or two little things to it. So like everyone always like, you have so many projects. I just want to move it all just like one or two steps forward every day or every week. So there's there's one of your videos that I've never really I I couldn't identify with more than the part where you're walking around your house and they're like, pick that up on the streets of New York. I found this over here on the streets of New York and this, and I had people, I had people like I was watching it and they turned and looked at me and they go, Aaron? Aaron? And I was like, so, so what? So I, I, I felt good about that. It was a compliment. Cause I was like, so what? To pick up a wood lathe in like a town North of us, part of my mom's van. Cause I don't think why, I don't know why I didn't take the truck. It was raining or something. It was too big for your truck. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was too long. And so we're driving up there, and Aaron's like, pull over, pull over. That's a good two-by-four in the... <laughs> it was a two-by-six. Of, ...of that bank. <laughs> so yeah. we have to pull over and load up this two-by-six and take it, it back. Was, it was oh. treated. I mean, it was... I used it. I've used the whole thing. So, <laughs> no, I mean, it, I'm, I'm justified. What I say is this, and I said I said it just the other day when me and Derek were... We're loading up the guy who was who who we were buying the the thing from. He said, "Do you want these three sheets of MDF?" And Derek's like, "I don't want three sheets of MDF." I was like, "I do." So we threw them in the truck and we dropped them off at my place mm -hmm. while Derek was on his way back to Boston. But I said that day, and I've said it for the last 15 years, if you saw if you saw sixty dollars blowing around in the street, would you pick it up? Boom. Exactly. You know how many you know, things it, I fixed with pieces of stuff that people have given me? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's countless. Or I've given parts. They're like, I need this, and I'm like, I think I have that. Hey, I remember when I when David Welder was my 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 one of my first longest. Like when I got into YouTube, David was working with me, so mm -hmm. a lot of people know us together, and we're still close. I love David, and he's like, I remember I came home from a walk. I went and delivered something. I walked back, and I can't, had a gallon of white paint. He goes, "What are you doing with that?" I go, "It was on the corner." He goes, "What are you going to do with it?" I go. You could always use white paint. I go, if you saw yeah. $20 on the curb, you'd pick it up, right? I go, this is a $20 gallon of Benjamin Moore paint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he just cracked up laughing. And so then he always used it. It was like kind of the first yeah. experience we had. So I always say I that if you saw $5 blown in the street, you'd pick it up. You see yep. a two by four, you pick it up. Every time. If I can haul it. I drive a car now, so I can't really haul as much. But it's uh, I, I've traded stuff like that for other things, too. So I can't, you know, whatever. Um. But the other part of that is being being well known, you know, in a lot of places. And this is do you ever feel like and this is something I've wondered with other people, too. But like, do you ever feel like people assume a lot about you or feel like they know you better? And, you know, how is that? How do you 
kind well, of you know, it's that. funny. It's like any anytime I have a, a, a I've never met a hater that knows me. For instance, like I mean, I guess at least they never told me they knew me. Anybody I ever meet is just like when I met you guys tonight, just warm and friendly. And we're like on the same page, you know, like I might walk into a store and then like the guy in the apron's like, what the hell are you doing here? I'm like, I live like 10 miles away. He goes, you live near here? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I always knew you were in upstate New York. I never knew you were right here. And then like, I'm like, oh, where's the uh, tile glue? Oh, let me show you. And like, we're friends, you know, not like I don't get anything for free, but it's just an easy thing. If I've ever met anybody that knows me but doesn't tell me you know i can't tell if they're being rude to me or not you know i don't know yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so i nobody's ever been weird That's honestly awesome. I mean, you know knock wood nobody's ever been weird you know the haters online that you know think i'm rich or this or that or whatever you know they're like oh like steve ramsey just recently did a video you guys know steve ramsey woodworking yeah. for mere mortals he yes. just did a video and he like trolls like so many youtuber maker guys and I even put in the comments, and I'm never going to go back and look again. I don't care if I started a fire. It doesn't matter to me because he started a fire. He's being really, I think, very disrespectful to – he's like, oh, so you want to be a maker? You want to be a YouTuber? Don't forget to get a beard. Don't forget to wear your Star Wars shirt. Don't forget to wear this, and don't forget to have your everyday carry, and don't forget to write your name on everything. And he said like for like 20 minutes or 15 minutes or maybe eight minutes, he talked about all the things that YouTubers need, which is basically him just – dissing but he's being funny and kidding and i wrote you sound like you're being you sound jealous and bitter just kidding that's what i wrote so like i said if i started a fire i started a fire but Mm. i just thought it was rude so you know i just somehow i was going to try and relate that back to what your question was but anyway well i you know i i watched a video not too long ago and like i don't know somebody else's circumstance in life right but i kind of felt like i got the impression that something went something went sour in like a an endorsement deal or some right like because i think you know when you think about the podcast or you think about youtubing like what's the end game there right and it and if you don't have a good long-term plan and you see a lot of people kind of doing like maker camp or, or um you do the classes right those types of things to try to branch out because uh, entertaining is normally a window of time that you get right um and maybe that's not accurate and there's some people that'll go for a very very long time but it i did kind of get the impression that maybe there was a drop or something there was kind of a knee-jerk reaction to it i'm not trying to defend it but yeah it it the tone changed significantly from even like a year ago you know who are you talking about somebody specific steve like oh, his yeah, yeah. channel went from pretty lighthearted and laid back to like th- yeah. there there's a seemingly a little bit of a frustration, right? Um Yeah, well, you know, I I hate to say it, but you know, y- you got to constantly keep reinventing yourself. Yeah. You know, just when I think okay, that's it, I'm not getting views anymore. I'm like, what can I do? You know, and then you know, I really just my personal intuition is just to follow my artist inside and try and find something cool, just keep tinkering and then Oh, cool. I came up with like a ratchety barbecue. And like that was a great invention that actually nobody ever did besides me. And now I got a company that wants to manufacture it. But that video kind of gave me like another like leading up to that. I had just come off of working on the TV show. I really wasn't nurturing my YouTube channel. I was like, no, you know, hopefully this TV thing picks up because I think my YouTube channel is going to take a nosedive. I did (laughs) that barbecue 
And then boom, I'm back on, I'm back in action, you know, mm, instead of yeah. me getting bitter and being like, Oh, Bob's got all these success and, and this guy, and then, you know, Colin Furs is going to hit 10 million and, and this guy's doing CNC, make sure you get your CNC machine. You know, I'm quoting somebody that we're talking about and, Oh, make sure you get your uh, Arduino. And you, you know, it just sounds like total sour grapes because yeah, life changes. Like, Yes. The only thing that's going to be the same is that there's going to be change. You know, it's such yeah, a stupid yeah. saying, but, you know, Steve might have been like one of the pioneers and he, he was a huge inspiration to me and he still will be. And, you know, I'm yeah. just a little annoyed at the video he did. I always liked Steve. We met and yeah. we talked a few times. He's given me advice early on. You know, I remember he wrote me an email a couple of times and gave me advice behind the scenes about I never even heard the term SEO. He said, be careful about something I did. He goes, your SEO, it'll affect your SEO. And I didn't even know what the hell that meant. Right. Search, right. Optimization, organization. I still don't even know what it means, but I know what. I <laughs> Search know engine optimization. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what and, said. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> you got to change. And I noticed him being like a little like snarky and getting more mm-hmm. snarky and getting snarkier and snarkier. And, and like that just means he's he's not having a fun time trying to adapt. Yeah. He doesn't well, want to adapt. But at the same time, you could just not adapt and that's fine. But don't keep looking over your neighbor's fence and being like complaining. You know, if he decides yeah. to put in an in-ground pool, be okay with you having an above-ground pool. Who cares? Right. And that's, like, that's... I, and Steve has always been very snarky, like in his comedy. But I remember his lighthearted comedy becoming like lighthearted, but it sounds like it's coming from a darker place. Right. Yeah. No, no, I, I see that. And Aaron and I come from a music background a little bit more, and. You know, that was always the thing that you hear musicians talk about is like, man, every day I have to get up and play the exact same song. Or I just watched a ska documentary and and nobody listens to ska. It just disappeared. And there's some people are like, man, it's cool. You know, like that, that comes and it goes or no doubt changed over time. Um, but it's not going to be the same thing forever. You have to be willing yeah. to change. You have to accept that, like, this is what I love to do and I'm going to do this. Um, and the audience is going to have a changing relationship with you over time. And you really need to be, I, I guess my encouragement would be don't be validated by your audience, right? Like don't live for that because. And that's then, you gonna, know, and, like another thing is I also make sure my audience like knows, like I never draw a line in the sand anywhere. Yeah. Like the only time I'll draw a line in the sand is if somebody's going to be a jerk, like in the comment section, yeah. like don't be a jerk. If you want to come hang out in my store and window shop, Come have fun. You'll be welcomed into the yeah. party. But if yeah. you're going to come and be a jerk, I'll say F U U M F R. Hit post it and then delete it. Yeah. Because he'll get the email, but he'll run to make a comment and I've blocked him. So <laughs> boom. Yeah. And, you know, it's that's the only time I really drew a line. And then now I've been joking around about the baby voice when somebody has something like really cutting to say i put a picture of a baby bottle and a baby and then all my fans will attack that person and uh you know but for me to like i know there are certain youtubers that'll be like i don't need a cnc machine i'll never need it and then everybody around them's got a cnc machine and they're struggling on the scroll saw and then you know they start to get gray hair and then they look like a retiree scrolling on the scroll saw when everyone's just like check out my cool new laser cutter yeah you know well you know, you, so I'm not saying they have to do that, but don't right. declare that you're never going to do it. Just do right. what you do and say anything about anybody else. Well, so Aaron and I listen to making it, you know, and have for years. And it, and that conversation comes up a lot, like people complaining about CNCs or lasers or whatever. And I 
it's weird. I finally have the chance to say this to your face. Uh, but my response was just like, good, keep doing it. Because seeing Bob's shop or David's shop or your shop inspired me to try to find ways to get my hands on some of that stuff too. Because before yeah. that, I didn't know that there was something even close to consumer, uh, you know, manual CNC machine or, or metal right. lathe or whatever, like, um, and like generally I would say that YouTube creator level is where things are, it's like early plasma TVs, right? You guys are getting it when it's still slightly out of reach of a lot of people, but within the next five years, yeah. we're going to get something a little bit closer. And so I'm, I don't understand people being upset because my shop well, now two shops are way more filled out and fleshed out because the dream was put in front of me. And I was like, that's possible. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do that yeah. too. <laughs> you know, right. like, Absolutely. I mean, I tell you, like, people, people always, you know, not, it's like, it's like 1% of the audience or maybe even less. It's a fraction of a percent that, that are jealous that I get free stuff. I've, I've hustled so hard to get free yeah. stuff and yeah. it is the hustle. It's like, you know what? If I get eyeballs on me, they'll give me a $50,000 CNC machine. I won't have to pay for it. If I get eyeballs on me by being entertaining and being, you know, as likable as I could possibly be and giving away all this information, yeah. these guys will see it and become my channel sponsor. And I like that product. They'll use it anyway. It's a natural fit. Or, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, I, I, you know, I've been able to manage the hustle. And I think a lot of the guys that are haters don't know what it takes to manage the hustle or to, you know, to get into it or to do it or be committed. And then they get resentful. You know, Bill yeah. Burr says all the time, he's like, he goes, I slept on a futon until I was 35 years old. He goes, don't, don't, pick, don't, don't pick on me for my Netflix money. He goes, I earned every penny of that. <laughs> you know? And, and I could really identify with him, but you know, it's a different situation. I, I have like yeah. five trolls a week that, you know, pick yeah. on me. And then I just like block them and delete them. But, my dad in 1992 would walk into any like you know aaron's garage or my garage or the metal shop or whatever and be like you what <laughs> you can have this like it's just mm -hmm. it changes over time and anyway i would say keep it up it's inspiring like I, oh, you yeah. know, i'm a distance away from certain things or tools that i would like to have but i also i can tell you five years ago i wouldn't have even considered buying one or figuring out how to use right. one until well, i saw somebody use it I appreciate that. I'll tell you what, I, I looked into buying a CNC, a four by eight CNC machine. I was like, yeah. I could make cabinets. I knew I could, this was like in 2008, I found a place in Long Island that makes the CNC machine and the machine was like $120,000. Yeah. Like now you can well, get that same machine for 10. And right. I was like, you know, I had a vacuum table and all. I'm like, I just can't afford it. I was going to, like, I, I, I was going to maybe put it up here at the house. That's the other thing. People see me now. They move. I moved to my farmhouse full time. I've owned this house for five years longer than I've been on YouTube. And yeah. people think like, oh, I'm now my, with my YouTube money. I bought my farmhouse and now I'm a hipster. Your summer house. <laughs> I was a hipster before I started. <laughs> I'm from Manhattan. You know, yeah. like somebody mm -hmm. gave me a $4,000 watch because I, I, they owed me money. So they gave me the watch instead. So I wear it all the time. I didn't pay for it. You know, it's like, yeah. you're like oh, look at you flashing your watch around. Yeah, I flashed it around. I got on this watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a $4,000 watch. Guess yeah. how much and you, you pay for it. I know. I, you know, I, I <laughs> did $20,000 worth of work for this watch well, and I didn't get paid. <laughs> so he gave me the watch to kind of like curtail me while he was busy trying to pay me and he never paid me the rest of it. Yeah, so well. this watch is like my gold earring. That's a trustful man. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I haggle for stuff all the time. Like, 
I don't know. That's just how I am, I guess. Yeah. I hate money. But yeah. <laughs> oh, I was going to say um, another thing I say about you about CNC stuff is all the time when people complain about me, like, oh, you didn't do that. You just did the CNC. I'm like, well, besides all the mental uh, decision making that goes behind the scenes and knowing the technology and knowing how to use the technology to your advantage mm-hmm. and get the most out of it, um, I spent my entire life trying to stay on the line, you know, with a bandsaw. Now I have something that can give me perfect letter forms, perfect serif letter forms. I mean, I've been a type nerd since, you know, I was in high school cutting out serif faced letters. I mean, I knew what New Times Roman was. I learned about it when I was in college four years later. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's New Times Roman. I learned about that at the sign shop because I was working at sign shops in high school. And, you know, being able to stay on the line is obviously a skill. But then when something can do it for you and you could just make decisions like, wow, I just spent like 40 years trying to stay on the line. That thing can stay on the line. I don't even have to think about it. Yeah. So, well, and how cool is it to like to make something you can touch or or put your feet on or eat off of, right? Like that's the most satisfying feeling in the world. And a friend of mine and I are kind of developing a product, and uh, I was like, yeah, I can 3D print the housing, and I can kind of wire up like a demo of the electronics or whatever. And he's like, you can do all that, and it's like, yeah, like it's accessible stuff, and we can make more complex or more refined or nicer looking like it's like being upset that somebody got a brand new saw blade like okay i can make a better cut now because i spent 20 bucks or 30 bucks on a brand new saw blade like you can't be upset about that well there's always moments in technology like you know think about the time there was a guy who was cutting a tree down with a rock and some guy comes along with a bronze piece of metal and goes yeah hey look this goes easy he goes you know what i don't need that newfangled thing i'm gonna continue using my rock <laughs> Yeah. And that really happened. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, like, yeah. I'm being sarcastic, but that really happened. Yeah. And a guy came along with a metal hammer, like a piece of steel on a handle and goes, hey, look, you don't need to use that, you know, soft bronze anymore. This is steel. Don't worry. The bronze is better. I, I'm OK with the bronze. You go on with your stupid steel hammer. Yeah. And these we're at that cusp right now in the last five years when people yeah. see me using CNC machines. Well, all of us using CNC machines and they, they poo poo it I'm like, you know what? Go ahead with your dovetails and your chisels. Good luck. You know, yeah. that's 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 a craftsman's hobby. That's fine. I'm in this to make money. Yeah. I'm about to make 10 displays for Bullet Bourbon. And, you know, 90% of it's going to be done on the CNC machine. That, and that's, that's – that's, and that this way it's affordable for them. I don't have to spend a week making each one of them. I could yeah. probably make a, spend a week making five of them, you know, and it's a way to make money. And Nick Offman always says that. He goes, you're a shop that actually – lives off of your work because i have the luxury of just playing and not having to rely on my shop's income so yeah mm. we can that, play you we, have to make money because that's what you do we could talk about this for a really long time and i don't want to take too much more of your time but that's one thing i think that um differentiates you from from a lot of the other creators that i see and maybe i don't know as much or whatever but uh yeah your shop you're actually generating real work out of your shop that's paying yeah like god forbid like if god forbid youtube goes away tomorrow i'm gonna be fine right you know right i every tool every tool i hoard (laughs) has to i have to it has to make me money one way or another like very rarely will i buy a machine simply because it's like it's just it like like i i for instance this really cool machine came through the auction house named me last week it was a roller for like uh rinsing clothes like production yeah. like a high volume roll it probably would have been at like a cleaner service made in like 1905 i'm like that is so cool 
but I can't figure out how I can't buy it and rinse clothes with it. You know, it's like one of those rollers you would have like on the side of a wash bucket. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Cast iron stand that would only look cool in a museum. Like I couldn't. Yeah. So I was like, I looked at it for him. I'm like, yeah, what am I going to buy? That? I'm just going to buy it. It's going to sit around. I'm not going to be able to make anything with it that I could sell off it. So, you know, that's really the criteria. Too. Jimmy can actually draw a line on a tool. <laughs> I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> now we know. Andrew, Andrew, first, yeah. is it Andrew would buy it. Andrew would buy it, do an Instagram story on it, and then sell it for, immediately to the next person yeah. that wanted it. <laughs> you know? I just you would buy it, sit on it for a while until you figured out something cool would make with it, and then auction it off. No, or whatever. Well, it's, you know, like out of respect to that object, as a, as a, you know, as it's it's got its own spirit and its own memories and its own soul, I wouldn't yeah. modify something that old. You know, yeah. Right away, the guy, who, the auction house, everybody knows in the local area to look to send me printing stuff. He thought it was a printing press. It looks just like a lithograph printer, yeah, like yeah. Lipton made, but. But it's for rinsing clothes. So maybe it was for maybe it was for vegetables. I don't know. It might have been a farm tool. <laughs> and these two big wooden rollers that were like eight inches. And if you put your hand in it, it would destroy your hand. You know, two big gears of crank handle. And it might have been for pressing tobacco. I don't know what it was for. But anyway, it wasn't used for what I needed it. Well, um, okay. So we really probably could talk to you for forever. Um we can together. I, I like you guys. I like talking to you guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Thanks for hanging out with us and chatting <laughs> with us. So we, we finish every conversation uh, with the, the same thing. So Aaron is going to start a sentence, and you just finish it with whatever comes to mind. There's okay. no wrong answer. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Here we go. I wish Seriously. I could. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I wish I could. That's it? Yeah. I wish I could have a fleet of antique Cadillacs. This week. <laughs> It'll be a new dream next week. Yeah. I've always been a Cadillac person, and lately I've been really thinking about Cadillacs again. You know, it's like I, I'm not I'm not as rich as everybody assumes I am, but there, there are moments where I'm like, oh, I could I don't have to actually restore that car. I could just go buy one that's perfect. You know, so there are those moments. But yeah, now what, just yesterday I showed tell this really cool truck I want to get. It's ten thousand dollars. It's used. It's thirty years old. But I'm like, you know what? I already have a truck. I, I got to really draw the line. But if it was a wish, if I wish I had it, then I would certainly ask for that truck again, where I didn't have to pay yeah. for it. Yeah. Or the Cadillac. I, like I wish my Cadillac was was perfect, like the day it was new. You know, that's so nostalgic. That's really why I'm attracted to these old objects. I'm always just like thinking yeah. of that moment. Like the guy like picked it up at the dealership, and now here it's in my backyard rotting away like a giant pile of crap. <laughs> we had an, an old family friend when I was a little kid. I was probably like eight, and he was a Mopar mechanic his entire life. And he had these long – like they weren't chicken houses because it was up in Wisconsin. and so, But it was a long barn, like two of them, and probably 14 cars perfectly immaculately restored to original condition every single – one of them wow sitting there was that moment where it was like you can do this and it stuck with me forever and then i grew up right next to a junkyard and this guy would just take pieces and cobble together like a six-wheeled truck or and i walked <laughs> over there one day and i had this like tom swift jr book and i was like can you make a flying car like this one and he was like uh not yet but <laughs> 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 like i didn't think about it for a long time but those those two guys who like I can fix this back to new or I can make something amazing and creative out of nothing. 
was like the coolest thing in the world that you could yeah. do that. Yeah. So inspiring. Yeah. 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 There, there's always that moment where I have to remind myself, I'm like, oh, wow, I really want, oh, wait, I can make that. I'll just make that. You know, yeah. I always forget, you know, it's like I have to keep reminding myself. Or if I'll be like, wow, I really want that. I know I can make it, but that's so complicated. But you know what? I should try and make it because then I'll learn something. You know, there's always that conversation yeah. too. That's uh, usually why I buy things. I want to do that. You know, <laughs> I'll get around to it eventually, but I will. There, yeah. There's stuff that I've started though where I'm like, well, I'm not doing that again. Like I started restoring a 1969 <laughs> uh, CB350 like oh, yeah. what, eight years ago, maybe. And it's just like, I'm never perfectly restoring anything ever again. It's too hard. Like <laughs> it's I mean, too stressful. I don't even like rat it out or something, but I'm a full restoration is too much. <laughs> I don't know. So when don't the Cadillac that. showed up, Taylor's like, are we going to make it perfect? I was like, no, we're going to buy a perfect one. This is just for fun. <laughs> yeah, there you I, go. I don't have, I think I like sands to 220 and I'm like, that's good enough. <laughs> like, you probably won't get a splinter. <laughs> would, right? <laughs> no finished goats. Looks yeah. good on camera. Right? I mean, that's all. <laughs> From far away, yeah. I have a story it's, to tell you about those frames, Aaron. <laughs> the, the, this, the stools that I made a few weeks ago, they yeah, look really yeah. good on camera. Everybody that comes into my kitchen, they're like, oh, my God, these are the stools from the video? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, D don't talk. I got I got to sand them and paint them again. I got to sand them and paint them again. I got to sand them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, why, why do people do that? It's like they jump out. Hey, hey, don't, 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 don't. You know, uh, you know, I still have to do these things to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I made frames for my wife for Mother's Day, and she just wanted a shelf in her office and just did raw walnut, like nothing on it. Just put it on brackets, put it up, and said she liked how that looked. So I'm sitting and looking at these frames. And I was like, do I, I'm going to finish them. Like I sanded them really well, couple, you know, coats of Danish oil or whatever I put on there. I take it inside and she's like, I really like it better. Just plain, regular raw wood. And I was like, oh, <laughs> too late. No. <laughs> I was yeah. like, you can say enough if you want. <laughs> That's oh, funny. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you for giving us yeah. your time. Yeah. Thanks chat. guys. Yeah look what i did is produced by aaron dotson and daniel quinn sound designed by daniel quinn our digital director is heather Hill.